Welcome to the Back to Back podcast on the Count the Dings Network. This is the TV Book Club, a nuanced discussion about television that captures our imaginations. I'm your host, Anthony Mays. I'm joined by Jake Hoy and Eden Liu. AC is out this week with a DNP married, and the homie Rob Lopez is filling in for the birthday boy, Jade Hoy. This week, we're going to talk about the Deuce episode seven, the feminism part. Talk about the beginning and uh, a little non-spoilery haunting of Hill House. And then Romanoff's three house of special purpose. And I must confess, I didn't do my homework this week. I'm the teacher. I assigned it and I couldn't take more than another 85 minutes out of my week to uh, commit to the Romanoff. So I will be deferring to Jake and Eden. And house of special purpose, the, the premise is Olivia, played by Christina Hendricks, is playing Alexander Romanoff in a TV miniseries directed by Jacqueline, who's played by Isabel Huppert. And it seems like it was creepy. What what happened, Eden? So what happened was Olivia comes on set, or she replaces an actress that's on set for the Romanoffs, and all this weird stuff starts happening. Everyone's treating her kind of weirdly, like, you know, people aren't speaking to her in English, even though they speak English. And people are like making phone calls, weird phone calls to her in the middle of the night. Um, weird stuff is happening just left and right. And it's it, it it's just a lot of weird shit going on. And she doesn't understand why it's happening. And she tries to get out of it. Her manager talks her out of it. And she sticks to it. Wait, we're not doing spoilers, right? No, are you we? can spoil away. It doesn't matter. It's the Romanoffs. Uh, okay. Each one is its own. We can't, I don't think we can talk about each individual episode without spoiling what happens. Okay. Um, but yeah, in the end, we find out all this weird stuff's basically happening to get the best acting out of her. Hmm. And so it's a it's a Stanley Kubrick set. Mm. Jake. <laughs> well, <laughs> no. Well, no. There, there does seem to be. There's an aspect of it that seems to be contrived to get her to give the performance they want from her. But there also does seem to be a supernatural element to the story that it's hard to tell really coming away from well, it, whether it was real yeah, or not. It doesn't get explained, which is what yeah. pissed me off about it. So it's it's does it kind of have uh you know, I we're going to talk about Haunting of Hill House later. Yeah. Does it have horror movie vibes? Yeah, there's a little bit. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a couple of things that happen, which, well, for example, there at one point a little girl walks into her room, yeah, or while she's sleeping and wakes her up and walks into her wardrobe and disappears, and she's wearing one of the costumes uh, she later discovers in the costume trailer. Um, but there's no way the girl could have gotten out through the wardrobe. So that seems to be a genuinely supernatural element. And then there's a scene at a restaurant where they are wooing the primary investor in the, in the miniseries and our director, I mean, you know, the funny thing is just, is there's so many parallels to the first episode and as much as like, it's, there's great actors playing these roles to the hilt. And it's like, again, that like, is any of this earned at all? <laughs> or am I like, I'm just watching just kind of perplexed, just even more perplexed than the first one. Cause there's less I found to grab onto. Um, yeah. but 
Isabelle Huppert is phenomenal. So is that is that what the Romanovs is? As this female director. Well, this you know here here's the thing. Well, let me finish what I was going to say though. She she seems like the lights flicker, the lights go down in a strange way of a sudden, and she seems to genuinely be possessed by Alexandra Romanoff. I think it was, Mm -hmm. uh, and starts speaking in fluent Russian. And putting a curse on them if they, you know, tell this story the way it actually happened and not, I, I, I I don't know. I mean, it's funny. Like, is that a staged moment? Uh, It's hard to, you know, again, they don't resolve it in a way that, you know, one way or the other. Mm. Uh, It could be an elaborate put on. I mean, the thing is like the elaborate nature of the put ons is so extreme that it actually is like it's takes more to do the put ons than to just stage the production of the show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like it now. Granted, this is an allegory. It's fantastical in, in a way that the first one was fantastical. But this even pushes things farther. But really what this was, was this meta, meta story about making a show about an historical uh, set of people and also what it's like possibly to be a woman in the entertainment industry today. Mm -hmm. Um, The nature of producers and actors, directors and actors, consumers and talent, you know, that, yeah. but it, and it's like the business, a business. It, and it's like the player did that so well. Right. I mean, can you do that kind of thing any better than the player did it? The, the, like Hollywood, the whole nature of the Hollywood business. And none of this felt like at any point satisfying. Yeah. I think you're okay with it if you are in the business, if you're an actor, if you're a producer, if you're a director, because there's that amount of vanity that they have, that narcissism that allows them to enjoy the absurdist quality of watching themselves portrayed or their lives portrayed. But I think if you were just trying to apply this into your own life and, and, and working and living and dealing with the politics of business, I think it falls far short. Okay. Well, yeah, I'd agree with that. Is that so what I was going to what I was going to ask was is does it seem like the Romanoffs is just tremendous acting talent, super high production value and then kind of abridged storytelling? So funny that you sit a, a bridge. It's hard to believe it. It's ninety minutes. Well, it's it's like what we talked <laughs> yeah. about with the first how you, one. It, how I, do you not come? How do you can you not? You've got ninety minutes of storytelling time, and it all feels rushed in some way. Like yeah, and that's what, crazy. How is that possible? Yeah, there's a lot of like long panning scenes of like beautiful, like architecture or just scenes that are nice and long and drawn out that I don't know are necessary, but it just seems like something's missing from every episode. Like every scene in a way. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> they're, holding, they're holding stuff back because they don't have answers for it or they don't want to provide answers for it. And I, it's like, 
again, it's like the player just handled that all so well, the absurdity, the comedy, um, the, even the dark side. Right. And, and mm -hmm. this does something so well, like the opening is super strong. You know, she arrives on set. She thinks she's going to the hotel. The quirky driver tells her he's taking her right to set. You know, he's got his instructions. She arrives on the set. They're not particularly friendly. It's a cold scene. She's in a super foreign country. I, I, I forget where they were exactly. It was like Czechoslovakia or something of that nature. Yeah. Um, and, and the first thing she's going to watch is this really dramatic moment of the, um, Bolshevik police or, or taking the bodies off a truck and loading them into a hole and then setting them on fire. And it's pretty dark, you know, and it really, and it, it's like basically telling, you know, she's being thrown into the fire herself, right? She's arrived. She's replacing the actress that had this role. Now she's in it. She has no clue what's going on. The first thing she receives is like a call to go meet the director in the bar. She walks down to the hotel receptionist who tells her there's no bar here. <laughs> Maybe it's a bar in town. Uh, she goes, call the director. And she's like, oh, the director's sleeping. You know, so it's like, she's like, what's going on? New pages arrive for the scene. And then the next day they shoot the scene. They give her one second of rehearsal. The rehearsal's nothing like the performance they film. And then they cut and walk away. And she goes, what? That's it? So it's like, yeah. the thing is, they don't even establish, like, who she is as an actress or a person, really. Like, she's kind of a stock figure. The most well-developed yeah. character is the director who's torturing her, who could be crazy, who could be Stanley Kubrick. The only problem is... They're never allowing the actress to be seen as somebody who won't cooperate or won't collaborate. So you don't really understand ever why this elaborate put on is is shoved on her. Yeah, that's what I took issue with was like there was no explanation, like because she was just, you know, we're just kind of dropped in with her into the first scene. Which so feels it's like in a way at the outset, yeah. right? Yeah, at first I was like, oh, this looks interesting. But as as the thing started happening and nothing was being explained or no background on her was being given as to why these things would be happening to her, it was just like, I don't know where you guys are going with this. And it just keeps happening. And even in the end, it's not even fully explained that well. So I wanted to punch it in the face. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's why when Maze, your text and hate watch, I'm like, ah, I don't know if I could keep doing this to myself. Right. You know what so I mean? It sounds like you guys are out, is what it sounds like. I are, we, are we out? Be, unless you keep I, assigning them, but if you won't watch them with us, I'm definitely. Yeah, not I was about to say, if, if yeah. you better watch, you, I'm not watching another one until you watch one too. <laughs> okay, that sounds like a good deal. We'll hate watch it's together. Not, but. It's not like there isn't enough television out there, so. <laughs> I'll, I, I'll do my I, best to catch up on it, but uh, we'll put the Romanoffs on the back burner for the time being because Haunting a Hill House is pretty good. And I still yeah, got to finish I, watching the whole show. I killed it in like two days. It's so Yeah, you good. said you were done. I was like, oh, yeah. crap. <laughs> no, it's I, I'm, so good. I'm with you, Eden. I mean, I have my criticisms of it, but I really enjoyed going through it. This is what... Um, the Hulu show could and should have been oh, Castle Rock. Yeah. Castle Rock. Yeah. Definitely, yeah, thank definitely you. some, 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 uh, similarities, um, but they, they're um, on another level for sure. 
Right. Um, they're just, he's, he's just so much better equipped to carry this story from the start to the finish than they were. Yeah. It was yes. cohesive. All right. Well, before we get into Hill house, let's, uh, let's go back to the deuce. Uh, this episode was called the feminism part. And, uh, before we start breaking it down, I gotta say that this, this year's theme song it's really grown on me. Uh, it's Elvis Costello's This Year's Girl, and it's a version that they recorded just for the show where they took the original 1978 version and mixed in new vocals from Natalie Bergman from the band Wild Bell. And wait, wait. they was that say that again. I'm sorry. So, uh, they took Elvis Costello. Uh, yeah. they, they reached out to Elvis Costello. They got his original master. Yeah. And they took the song apart and then mixed in uh, the the second verse, which is vocals from Natalie right. Bergman uh, of Wild Bell. But that's been going on the whole season, no? No, I know. I'm just talking about it. We haven't talked about the theme song. Oh, oh, I thought, you know what? I thought you were <laughs> implying something was new about oh, this episode's sorry, yeah. version. Okay. Sorry. My bad. You know uh, what? So the but this is interesting because I really like that song and I didn't know that song from back in the day. Mm-hmm. I, I I was like always a casual Elvis fan. Like I liked the songs I knew, but I actually never owned a single album. Um so I didn't know this song. It's a it's a really good song. Yeah, it's, it's so definitely. fitting for the show, but it's, too. It's not really a duet, is what you're telling me. Yes, it was originally just Elvis, and then they added these new I vocals. gotta tell you, man, as soon as I heard the female voice come in, I'm going, I can't believe this was really a duet back in the day. <laughs> Honest to God. That makes total sense, but they did a great job with it. Her voice is fantastic. Yeah, yeah it's so her- unique. Her, love her verse really adds another level to it. Oh, and yeah, it's like it. it's got me. It gets me excited for the show now. I'm I'm hyped for it. You know, there wasn't a theme song for the first season, huh? <laughs> that yeah, was, it was different. It was. I think uh, it was just, just totally instrumental different. different. Okay. But you know what? It's funny because it's it's funny that you're bringing it up now because I was surprised we hadn't talked about it already. And I think like a few times back, I thought we should have mentioned it in some fashion. Mm-hmm. Although I got to tell you with this with the platforms right after a while i'm done with the intro like i just get yeah. it right yeah. the show and netflix does that beautiful little thing skip, skip intro. intro it's great okay i love skip intro i'm all in this <laughs> same but here's the problem with hbo go no fucking 10 fast forward or back i know Yo, like, every what's with video the guessing? platform needs to have it yeah it's HBO goes the best they're on top of everything, but they don't give you nothing I'm like scrolling <laughs> forward, trying to because I do like to see the writing credit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I yeah. see the writing and directing credit. I'm done, though. These intros are too long as much as I like them. Well, all right. That was a great. That was a great rant. <laughs> I like that rant. <laughs> um, OK, so the cold open uh, Club 366 is, is popping. Rudy and Tommy come to see Vincent. And they want him to open another bar. Uh, Vincent attempts to negotiate his way out of the parlors. But Tommy pulls him aside, shuts it down, even makes some thinly veiled threats, jokes about killing him, tells him he's going to fire Abby and, and Bobby and put him out on the street. And then discouraged, Vince tosses the keys to Big Mike, just takes a bag of drugs <laughs> and walks out <laughs> of, the three, of the Club 366. Uh, 
not not the best cold open, but it's uh, they kind of bookended this show with the the open and the close. So I thought it was uh, you know good setup for the episode, but nothing really that special about it. Uh, the porn plot was uh, was going off. Candy has finished shooting the movie Red Hot, and now they have a big meeting planned with the original investors who put in the 30k. Harvey wants her to play nice because they need more money for distribution and printing. Uh, and then Jake, it turns out that the original investor is Maddie, aka the horse. So yeah. our talk about. Rudy getting in on, on the on the investment last week was for not because the movie is almost entirely funded by the mob. Almost entirely. <laughs> but now it's unclear whether these two factions, well, they don't know, right, about yeah. each other. And yes. it seems that the director and producer don't know that two different forms of two different teams on the mob are in behind their film in a pretty significant way. Cause what were they asking for 30, 35,000 at this point, they, or they were already they said in, they put in already 30, 30 was the number they were already in for. So that's more. interesting. It's yeah. almost equal, right? Because I think Rudy, what did he put in? 2025. Rudy put in 25. Last, so uh, he's, Frankie put in like 12, uh, the Hollywood dude put in 10, they got 30 from this person. So their, their budget's creeping up towards the hundred K that we talked about. <laughs> And then uh, they're asking for more money for for the next stage. Yeah. But yeah, right. you're 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 right. It's they, they still don't know about it. But so it's like they've pitted. So these two mobsters, which we know from other plot lines, are like At it's the, the the rivalry is intensifying. Uh, they're making a movie together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. It's uh, great. So Candy Candy's pitching it. She calls it art porn. Uh, and then we're finally introduced to Hodis. At least I think this is the first time we've seen his face. And he is the king of the peeps. He owns the theaters. It seems oh, like no. he says, we met him not his balls right now. We did meet him before. Yeah. 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 In like okay. one scene, I think. Yeah. He had one scene, one pretty good talk scene. And I think it was with candy. It's oh. probably with candy. Yeah. Cause, cause he seemed to know her. They seem yeah. to like have uh, a rapport. Yeah. Yeah. Rapport. Um, and he dismisses it and says something about taking out the, the feminist part, which is the title of the episode. And then it's just the epic glare down, uh, when candy leaves the conversation. Uh, what did you think of? No, no, no. Candy? He was, he was down with the feminist part. He was down in, with it. In like yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of a sarcastic way though. Like yeah. I think it was, he was yeah. so condescending to candy. No, I think it was a recognition that that's usable. You know, that there's commerce there because feminism is a thing that people are well, involved he, yeah. in. Well, the point is he's he's using feminism as a selling point, not because he believes in feminism, though. No, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. But although yeah, she, he's more evolved than the horse. Yes. Right. That's very right. true. Who just wants the women to leave the room. Um, yeah. Hey, uh, Eden, what do, you, what do you think about uh, of Candy's fight for final cut uh, for control of her movie? Do you think that she'll uh, she'll get it? I, obviously, I want her to get it, but it it's hard to say because it, this episode kind of makes you think she's not going to get it, right? Yeah, that between that and the the scene from next week, uh, it definitely seems like the horse is going to exert final cut because yeah. money money drives the drives the train right like yeah that's well, what that's what pulls the strings 
Yeah. Well, I guess the question is what else is there? You you know what I mean? Like, I I don't know, but I mean, it's funny. They didn't really, they did come to, you know, Harvey and her after the meeting. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and he didn't say anything like they have some ideas. Did he? No, No, I don't think they reached a resolution, at least not to us. He's, it, it seems like the horse is willing to invest more money and that's where right. we left it. Uh, right. but it, you know, that's just like, it's opening up that element of this production, right. Which is the distribution and like what sells, what makes money. Cause they're going to have more control over that than candy. Her work is really like editing and then. She's, you know, she has to let her baby go, essentially. Uh, and then in that same conversation with Harvey, uh, she's uh, Candy's worried about uh, her son finding out, and he encourages her to to talk to him and get in front of it, and that leads to her giving him a tour of the studio. And there's that great moment where he where she covers up the lingerie with a curtain. Uh, yeah. What do you What did you think about her? She's still struggling to tell him the full truth. What did you think of this scene with her son, Jake? Well, I think my takeaway from this entire episode was that this was about who you are versus who you want to be um, or who you perceive yourself as and coming to grips with that. And I think across the board, that's, you know, people are reconciling their true nature or their true selves, right? And so in Candy, it's like she's been hiding who she is for a long time now because the, 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 this kid is pretty advanced as a teenager in some ways, right? So yeah. he's, he's starting to have an awareness of the world. He's, he's got the porn magazine under his bed. So he, the threat of him discovering her is it's realer is, than it's is, ever been. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's right around the corner, especially if she releases this film as the director, like mm-hmm. the real issue now is there's going to be publicity around her. Um, and she wants that publicity, but she's trying to live this double life. And all of these characters in a sense are, are leading double lives, right? Um, Vincent, like is you see him, he's trying to get out. He's got a fantasy of going to Vermont, but that's not realistic. Right. Um, Jake, you're from, you're from Connecticut, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's England. the line. Ab- Abby says I'm from Connecticut. Yeah. Remember? Well, I'm that was Vermont. the funny thing. It's like, he was so caught up in that fantasy for a moment that he forgets that, you know, people want to be in New York. Like yeah. that's people go, they, they're trying to get out of those Norman Rockwell scenes and get to New York where they can be free. At least a lot of people are. And certainly Abby was one of those people. She doesn't need Vermont. She left Vermont a lot behind, you know? Yeah. And that kind of shows, uh, their, their different trajectories, but, but yeah, back, back to candy. She's, she's living the double life because, because why? Um, well, just in the sense that she's, she's telling, him the half truth, right. About what she really does. And she needs to let him in before damage is done. It's the same life that Bobby's been living and Bobby's come up. Right. Oh my God. 
But, well, Bobby's come up and says that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. His son is basically acting the same way he did. Yeah. Right. So he has to watch essentially himself (laughs) in an alternate universe doing exactly what he does. And he hates it. Right. He's disappointed. He's frustrated. But that's who he was. He's like he got involved with one of the girls. He was keeping her on the side. He's having a great fun relationship. Bobby's really Bobby's usage rate is still stupid high. Uh, I'm so sick of it. No, I'm well, progressively out on Bobby as well. He got like 25% of this episode. Um, but yeah, so so Candy with her son, you know, she still has to go all the way and uh, tell the truth. Uh, Bob, let's just get through Bobby. Bobby's son basically falls in love with Rachel, one of the girls at the at the parlor. First, he's lurking outside her door. Then he's paying her for sex. Then they're taking lunch breaks together. Then next thing we know, they're fucking packing bags and trying to run away. And Bobby just has that great line, like, she's a whore and you're a high school <laughs> dropout. Like, there's no this, starting this, over, Bobby. This I got to fucking hear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. mean, that was a great moment, I thought. And I really thought there was something touching about the way he patted him on the back as he slumped his shoulders and yeah. carried his suitcase that, through that the hall. I, I just, I, I know... I, I just found something nice in that moment. There was a connection there, you know, and I know it's funny. I felt a, similarly about this guy's character in season two of The Wire. Yeah. Um, when he was the union boss. Yeah. And when I watched that season a second time years later, I I felt very differently about it. I, I think that guy is a tremendous actor because I think it's it's really difficult to play that kind of like ordinary man role. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's got that on lock. He was also a character like that. Uh, he, I think he was the sheriff in, uh, true blood. Uh, he, Oh, I so never watched that show. He's been on HBO for, okay. <laughs> for low key oh, the last 20 years. Right. That's good. <laughs> just, just cash and checks. Ca- yeah. Their casting director clearly loves him, but yeah. Uh, you know, and he, yeah, you're right. He's not even mad. Like he just kind of is like, you idiot. He lets it out. He lets yeah. it out when the girl walks back in. <laughs> Terrified. It is funny to think, what the fuck were they going to do? Yeah, well, and, and she know? just, she gives up on it so quick. Doesn't yeah. even say a word. She's yeah. Like, You're right. You're right. She's like, we got caught. This is, this is over. Yep. That was dumb. Uh, Eden, uh, your favorite plot line has come to, a, has taken a tragic turn. Uh, why don't you tell us what went wrong with Irene and Shay this week? Well, Shay basically goes back on the streets. She finds Rodney and he hooks her up with drugs. So she's just hooking again. And Irene goes to find her and she's like, just ignores her and drives off with some guy for a car date. So unsurprising. I'm disappointed, though. I I had such high hopes. Yeah, it's super hard. Like I was rooting for them. I was rooting for Shay to get clean for one, even though, I mean, she's like that quintessential, like druggy character that like is never going to get clean. Um, But, you know, you always you always want to root for them. Ain't nobody Um, getting no higher than Shay. (laughs) Yeah. And then like the look on Irene's face as she watches Shay drive off with her day is just like. Well, fuck. Well, the fairy tale's over. I mean, there yeah. was the, there was the cute opening scene when she's 
He's like, yeah, wants to go out to breakfast and he's acting all cute and even like bounces back and like says, I'll make eggs or whatever. And right. like, and then the next scene, she's just gone. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of telling though. Cause it's like, you can't ever just keep someone locked up and expect them yeah, to be yeah. happy. So that's, exactly. That, like Irene didn't have much of a plan, you know, yeah. and, and Definitely not. there's nothing worse than, a uh, recovering drug addict than just total boredom. Yeah, exactly. being you know, alone and stuck in inside. Yeah, can't go anywhere, nothing to do. It's, yeah. Yeah. That, that was never going to work. So, yeah. speaking of things not working, the other breakup of the episode is Paul and Kenneth. Uh, so, Paul is, you know, hooking up with his actor friend, Todd, who we've seen in the play earlier. And then Todd is talking about, is he, he's talking about being outed? With his wife? Wait, no, 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 or no. His no. Mom. Oh, his mom. His mom. Yeah, okay. That, yeah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That wasn't Todd. See, this is the funny thing about Todd and the other guy. The other guy is the actor from the movie. The, the Boys gay, in the Sand. Yes, Boys yeah. in the Sand. Thank you. And I'm blanking on his name. Paul? I don't know his no, name. No, not Paul. Um, he was that's the not one. the same guy? No, that's the funny thing. No, this, the Todd lives with. Paul at home and is the co-club owner. No, that's Kenneth. That's Kenneth. Yeah. Sorry. Kenneth lives with Paul. (laughs) (laughs) They don't look different enough. They really don't. But with the mustaches and the kind of sand brown hair, it's almost like you got to You got to go by the hairline. Yeah. Yeah. But remember, he he walks in on the two of them at the end. They're kind of leaning into each other at the bar and he says, can I talk to you alone? But that guy at the bar who he had sex with is Todd. I'm looking at IMDb right now. I promise you. His name is Todd. I don't think I ever but knew. Todd's his name, not to be the honest. one breaking up with him. Kenneth is. Kenneth is breaking yes, up with Kenneth Paul. Is- <laughs> <laughs> Paul okay. is sleeping with yeah. Todd. I, well, they just it's, were hooking it's up brutal. though. I got more just... names for you later. Don't worry, Jake. We can argue <laughs> about more people's names later. <laughs> a lot of characters. A lot this of fucking characters in this show. What's episode, generic names? I think covered the most characters in one single episode. Yeah, for season. sure. A lot Unreal. happened. And they do this thing where they'll do like a one, one to one minute and a half scene and then cut. Yeah. And they'll do that like nine times in a row. <laughs> So it's yes. pretty tough to track. But this was a fast-moving episode for sure. Anyways, yes, Paul and Kenneth have not been on the same page for a long time. They don't see each other. Paul's always working. They haven't been having sex. But one time, Kenneth wants to have sex. Paul just had sex, so he wants to clean his dick off, take a shower, ruins the moment. And then they kind of have a pretty, you know, on-the-same-page breakup. They love each other, but they've got too busy. Uh, Kenneth also wants out of the club. Probably is going to put a financial constraint on Paul. Um, and guys, don't forget, we talked about having a death pool. And uh, I think Paul earns consideration for the death pool. Really? Uh, because hate. one, the possible gay hate crime. And two, the whole like pay for the Italian thing. So I think he could catch a stray bullet. Uh, in this upcoming mob war, I'm, I'm just, I'm not saying he's a favorite. I'm just, I'm nominating him for the death pool. Okay. Uh, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. The, uh, we'll get to the other ones later, but the, yeah. the yeah, death I was like, pool, I just thought of a few more. <laughs> the death pool, uh, 
the episode, you know, early on in the episode, it touches on Officer Flanagan's troubled relationship with Anita yes. once again. Yeah. And I'm rem- I was, you know, reminded of like earlier scenes this season where that had come up. And I immediately yeah. was like, number one lock for the death pool. Didn't even we couldn't <laughs> even have the episode. We couldn't even talk about it. They're already dead. Both of them. Yeah. Murder, suicide. Uh, and this was just doomed from the start. Uh, yeah. Eden, was there any was there any salvation possible for this? Was it just like was this? No, just no. Story? I mean, it's the traditional like you know i mean he was never gonna leave his wife for a whore or a parlor girl and Mm. in the end she finally doesn't want to put up with it anymore and she's you know like i'm gonna call your wife if you don't and then they get into a fight and that's how it ends like it's pretty cliche but like there was no saving it i don't think like i don't see how they could have written that it was just a tragic story yeah and, I didn't uh, expect it to end. I, I thought he was going to chicken out on killing himself. Yeah, I thought so too for a second. Yeah, but, but then, then yeah, that was a then, that was a good little scene. He has he has the initial lack of will, and then mm-hmm. he just says "fuck it, fuck it." <laughs> um, yeah. But but Jake, he does drag our boy uh, Chris Austin into this. Yeah, uh, not just not just on the horrendous double date yeah. at the bowling oh, alley. Man, that was but brutal. then he that leaves Austin to clean up his mess. Uh, what did you think of the whole? scene between Austin and McDonough uh, after all the guys have been cast. You know, I was thinking, I was thinking a lot about the change in Flanagan from season one to season two. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was wondering if they had a sense, I don't think they knew they were going to do this with Flanagan this season. So meaning, you know, how they talked about, this Flanagan storyline coming directly from the real Vincent, who was the inspiration from the show. Uh And so it occurs to me that, you know, they like to do things that really happen to amplify that world, right? The danger, the grittiness of, of the deuce world, the uh, insidious nature, like the, well, really the lack of boundaries between the police and the criminal behavior, right? They're, they're mm-hmm. intertwined in this deep way. Um, they keep reminding us of, um, even to the point where Ralph Macchio's character is handing back the money to Bobby, yeah. right? Yeah, that was, was a, a great beautiful moment. touch, right? It's like so, someone took the movie projector and threw it in reverse. But it's almost like, sometimes I'm like, I wish they had found another character other than Flanagan because they spent so much time on that partnership in the first season and it being fairly, you know, traditional kind of cop relationship. Yeah. They're, they're just getting by They're You know, so for this guy, I mean, that said five years later is a long time. And if he's miserable in his marriage and he's finding outlets and he's an addict, he's an alcoholic, he's a pain in the ass, which we've seen. Um, but it felt kind of rushed to this conclusion you know, we, we knew something was coming. I don't know. I yeah, they, really tease, they tease it enough times. Yeah, no, it, the it's, season. it's like, okay, it's it's credible. But I think they more really wanted to just capture that element of the murdered parlor girl by, at the hands of the policeman. Now, the scene, I, I was relieved um, that Alston stuck to his guns and wanted, you know, it's like, look, I, I don't want to... P- do, I don't want to arrest you and, and turn this into a whole police press, you know, po- police murdered girl thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but you need to to deal with this straight up. You need to go to the rep, tell them what happened and, and do it straight, do it clean, you know? So I, I, I like that. I thought that it was good that Austin held his character and I thought that was a really strong scene. And obviously I like the line, I won't rabbit. <laughs> yeah. You know what it means, but you've never heard it. You know, I love mm. that. Yeah. That was, uh, the, the whole like paperwork element of it and the way they kind of just brush it, you know, under the rug, the, the wife doesn't get the pension. Yeah. Uh, and then they make that joke about the, you know, the girl doesn't get a, pe- or the girl doesn't yeah. get a pension either. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's just cool. like, you know, just the, the grimness of, of police work, I think. Yeah. And when you see your, your partner fall into the, the deuce, you know, it can, cont- and- it, it, it teases, uh, Austin's like continued, uh, crusade for like changing things, change yeah, positive impact. Definitely. And, and also, you know, the same way the pimps are dealing with this collision of the new world with the old world. So are the police, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're used to operating in a certain way. Yeah. They, they do police work, right? But they take money on the side. This thing is fine. It's illegal, but it's not really hurting anybody. I can get a little extra money from, you know, keeping an eye on it, whatnot. And that's all about to explode, you know, and, and, and things are changing. You know, it's like CC had that great line at the outside, right? What, what, what do they need a pimp for if it's legal? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Well, if this is stuff is really illegal, well, then we're not going to get paid. Right. And then there goes a whole part of my income and lifestyle. So and and Flanagan's is a guy who's not trying to move forward. Yeah, he's like you said, there's a big change in his character in this season. And he's really just been a drunk, miserable, broken man the entire time. Um, yeah. So, yeah, kind that of a scene was really him, yeah. painful with his poor wife. Yeah. Oh God. Horrible. When he goes yeah. from like being really sweet to her to just being awful, uh, oh, you know, it was just so abruptly gruesome. just after, after the second pitcher or whatever. Yeah. Oh, let me get uh, another one. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. Or, or two. He said, yeah. Oh, Austin's so just bad. like, dear God, I can't drink any more of that Schlitz. So, uh, Eden, let's talk about Vince's Vermont vacation. Uh, you know, he, he looks strung as fuck strung out. He's taking all these drugs. He's driving all night. He dumps the drugs out and then wakes up. Uh, there's that little moment when he like gets a little like pep in his step when he gets out of the car, he like kind of speeds up for a half second. I thought that was fun. But, uh, what did you think of the calm, humble, simple Vermont life, Eden? I think it's it's a fantasy that he wanted to live out for at least a night or two. I think he knows that it's not realistic, that that's never going to be his life, but he was so focused on, especially just having after, you know, being threatened by uh, Rudy's guy that, you know, Tommy, that they would, you know, off him if he didn't cooperate, um, that he wanted to just get away and clear his head. And he got a taste of the suburban life. He got to get away and meet some, meet a nice bar owner in Vermont and, and meet some non New York people. And I think it was refreshing for him and him going back to New York and that conversation he has with Abby kind of snaps him back into reality. She cuts him down so quick, so fast, so fast. (laughs) And then it's just over. Yeah. So over. 
Do you remember yeah. when Vito went to Vermont in the yeah. Sopranos and yeah. eats the pancakes and meets the volunteer firemen? Exactly. Like, I was wondering if this was kind of an homage to that. Yeah, you know, Vermont hiding tourism. Out, hiding maybe, out from maybe, the mob. maybe Vermont tourism uh, dropped off an envelope. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I tell you, man, it was really hard watching him dump all that cocaine on the side. Oh of the my road. God, what a <laughs> waste. Like, Dude. <laughs> That shit's probably phenomenal. Yeah, and at least bring it back to the club. Other people yeah, can it. If he hope. didn't want it, send it geez. to me. <laughs> go. like, don't waste, don't waste drugs on our. Show me where that is. <laughs> Never dump out drugs. Never flush your drugs. God, yeah, it was a huge bag. It was an enormous bag. Uh, so, so then the, you know, there's the conclusion. Like Abby cuts him down. Uh, then he's a little. They talk about jealousy, and uh, Vince says we don't do jealous because Abby, of course, just went and slept with lawyer Dave. Uh, Coming out of the shower, by the way. Yeah, she's coming out of the shower smiling. Like she doesn't really smile very much. But yeah, showering after going to to be with somebody else, a theme in this episode. (laughs) Coming home to your uh, to your domestic partner after leaving your lover and taking your shower. Dave gets sexy. Yeah, I I, did not see that one coming. You you you've been on the sexy Dave Mays? No, I, that's I, I had a feeling they were heading this way, and I'm just oh, like, fuck did? this guy, dude. He's such a fucking goody two shoes bitch. Like, <laughs> I'm not interested in him. Yeah, like, he was. were they like feeling vibes? He's not like, intriguing at all. He's not who? interesting, Dave. Yeah, he's just so vanilla. Yeah, and all and of it kind of it kind of felt like Abby, you know she definitely is has similar feelings but she's just kind of attracted to it now because it's different right like i don't think she's like this dave guy is amazing (laughs) she's not enthralled with him either um but yeah what's the rest of their plot line this episode uh ashley dorothy is talking to another girl trying to get her out of town yeah Uh, melissa melissa right that's cc's other girl uh, and then, th- and then Dave goes to confront the pimps, which is, which we talked about a little bit when he just kind of when CC just kind of dunks all over. Dave. Yeah, yeah, um, that was a great performance. Yeah, Pat- I was patting the back of his hair. <laughs> Gary Carr seems a little starved for screen time, so he like really brought it in this one scene. Oh, he's so good. That guy, he is, he is so good. He's like bordering on overacting to me, but he, he's yeah, definitely, it yeah. works though. But it, it works as a, as a pimp character. It's well, perfect. especially as Cece's character. Yeah. There's also like the storm brewing with him and Laurie oh, too, man, which is he, like, that's just like bubbling. Like oh. it is ready to pop. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other, yeah. So speaking of Laurie, she has a meeting with Kiki Reigns and uh, Hodis, who we talked about before. He wants Laurie for an exclusive contract. Three films, six months, no other work. Uh, Kiki wants Lori all in so she can negotiate. And, of course, she has to clear it with Cece. So they go to it. Jake, what steakhouse was this? Do you know that they go to? Um, I don't know offhand. It could be any of the famous ones. Yeah, so it, I thought I recognized it. It looked I like did. this one that I'd seen before. I think they went there in billions. Oh, but, really? Uh, yeah. Um, um and so they go to the steakhouse uh, with it's, the best beef in the city. Lori's doing blow in the bathroom. And CC yeah. says, you know that shit kills <laughs> your appetite. Your appetite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I'll, yeah, this is a great scene uh, for Cece. Uh, the waiter pours him a taster of wine. He looks at it like he's offended <laughs> and asks for an honest pour. That was uh, funny. That was doesn't want to taste it first. And then he immediately like spits out his order. He asks for two porterhouses, even though they're probably like Giant. 40 ounces yeah. or some yeah. shit. <laughs> and yeah. then when he orders it, well done, near to Well black. done. Oh, my God. That I'm hurt done, my heart. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that hurt my heart so much. Near to black. Himself so yeah. hard as being uh, fake class in this yeah. scene. This is cringeworthy, dude. I, oh, yeah. Dude, he's leaning in. He's he's leaning in, right? Yeah. He can't accept anything. Yeah. Gotta be his way, right? Like he's gotta he he doesn't have he's and like he's okay with Lori taking this deal. At least he's actually kind of surprisingly tender about this in his own fucked up way. Um, but he's threatened by her burgeoning fame. His insecurity is coming out again, right? And so he takes her to dinner to a place where he has control, where there's a waiter that he can shout at. And he he exerts what little power he has left yeah. by ordering a well-done 40-ounce 40, 40 porterhouse. <laughs> Two of them. <laughs> Two of them. Hey, he lets her pick the side, okay? Yeah, that was cute, too. <laughs> yeah. Babe, what, what side do you want, babe? <laughs> Good <potato>. choice. <laughs> Excellent choice. <laughs> Uh, okay. What's, what's that left? waiter? That waiter killed it. Let's be honest. He killed it. Um, so yeah, there's the, there's the, so Darlene's pregnant and goes to get an abortion. That's, there's a couple scenes kind of in right. and around that. Uh, Loretta finds out and, uh, take offers to take her. And then Larry confronts Loretta about her quote unquote social work and asks for a cut, but she just ignores him and walks away. And Larry's just talking about how much he loves acting. <laughs> yeah. He, he like, doesn't even threaten her or anything. He's just, is completely yeah. gone. <laughs> um, and at the same, at the diner that, you know, Leon continues to flex. He remembers, uh, Ashley's order by heart, even though she doesn't want it. Uh, so the, the last scene, Rudy and Tommy come to see Vincent. They've bought him a new Cadillac. You know, they're, they're trying to sweet talk him. They're going to go to dinner. Uh, and Vincent's being tailed. Shots are fired at them. And then there's the part from the featurette where Pelicano says, Rudy's a made guy. He's way up in the organization. When you shoot at a made guy, it will ignite a full-fledged war between the families. So the, the parlor war, which was focused on Vincent, is now escalating. We're up to the big leagues now. Uh, Jake, like, so the, yeah. what, what is the next step? Like, is Rudy going to clap back really hard? This is what we talked about last time, this simmering war. Yeah. <clears throat> What's interesting to me, I guess, is that those guys in the tail car was the same black car um, that we talked about uh, spotting Vince, yeah, driving, well. driving by Vince last time. Um, there's no way they couldn't have known who was with Vince, right? I mean, he yeah. walked out the door right into the car with the two of them. If they There's don't know no that way. Vince worked for Rudy, then they're really right? not doing their homework. Right. Yeah. So, and it seems like in the preview of the next episode, yeah. that they got the guy and that they're basically going to ask Vince to, to cap him. Yep. You know, so now Vince is going to be confronted with the, again, who am I and who do I want to be? You know, like, am I a mob guy? 
because this is what it means to be a mob guy all in. Yeah. And even if he doesn't pull the trigger himself, even if he has like, if he tells big Mike to do it or something like it's still him ordering. Yeah. Well, I I think, I think they're asking him to do it. Yeah. I I get the sense that it's, it's the three of them. It's like a challenge thing. They hand him the challenge thing. Yeah. And it's just their way of exerting their power over him, which they, they are, you know, he, he doesn't make an unreasonable offer, right? I'll, I'll open five new bars for you. If you just let me know this parlor business, it doesn't seem like a stretch for them to go, Hey, that's fine. That's not a bad idea. We can put somebody else in charge, but they don't want to upset the apple cart and they don't let you decide where you want to work in their organization. Yeah, that's where Rudy's kind of like bubbly, fun time persona, like we talked about last week. There's the real menace underneath, right? Yeah, yeah. When when Tommy pulls him aside and basically tells him, you earn for us. Like, they own him. It's this, you know, that's a classic Sopranos. Totally. And Tommy Um, is the menace, right? Yes. I mean, it's always nicely delivered, but he's going to tell you straight the way it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And he does. I mean, right? He's like... (laughs) If you want out, you're all out. Yeah, it was all a cute you, attempt, though. Everybody you know is out. And you guys are right. Yeah, it's not it's not that unreasonable. <laughs> I thought it was a, a decent offer, but it's it's just not the way this business works. He doesn't have any say. Yeah, so you it, don't get to pick and choose. Okay, so that that kind of sets up the next episode. You know, we got the Vincent situation brewing, and and Candy's campaigning for a movie and stuff. That takes us to the death pool. Uh, Eden, you said you had something you were thinking of. What is your first nomination for the death pool? We've already got Paul on the board. Okay. Paul's on the board. Um, c- can Jake go first? Cause I just, oh, I just wait, had a wait, mind fart. Wait, first of all, I don't know. I don't have any ideas for the Okay. Death you want, you want me to throw out some? Yeah, yeah. You go first. So obviously we had Flanagan and Anita that cross them both off. We couldn't even get the bets out before, before they were done. Uh, we've talked about Lori's doom situation with CC. Uh, it's, he kind of took a half step back in terms of threatening in this episode, but, uh, you know, that's always going to be there. I think she's got, and the, the idea of her being a big star is really enhanced. So you yeah, know, the I'm, whole tragic I still think that's going to happen. That's like, the that's, favorite. I would say yeah. that's our favorite. Uh, I put lawyer Dave down because oh, yeah. that's quote, what I was unquote, thinking of. the pimps hate him. Right. From Vincent, who says, you know, yeah. while you're fucking him, have eyes, have in, eyes the back in the back of your, of your head. head. <laughs> yeah. No, that's who I was thinking of earlier. I was like, who did I think of earlier? That We just went through too many names and I forgot. But yeah, yeah. I think he's, um, the pimps don't like him. He's, I mean, he's doing too much good. There's, something's got to give there. Yeah, you I, know what? I, you're right. I did think that that was creepy scene. And I, I thought CeCe might I'll beat him down in that I scene. I thought he was going to hit him. Right. Yeah. I, and, and really do some damage to him. So you're right to point him out as a possible. Because they're just victim. doing too much good stuff without any backlash. And yeah. Like, you're right. That's not yeah, sustainable. You're right. Yeah. yeah. You're, you you're absolutely throw, right. You can throw Ashley and Loretta in there too. It, it could be. Yeah. yeah very Same much deal. so. I would yeah. say Loretta probably the most likely because she's the wait, most Ashley, minor character. Was it Ashley? Ashley, Ashley Dorothy. Dorothy. Ashley Dorothy. Dorothy. Yeah. Okay, good. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, and then Loretta. So I would say all three of those, I, I, you know, they're, they're in one the One of mix. them. Yeah. One of them is um, going to die for sure. Shay by relapse or she's, OD. Yeah. She's just going to OD and die. I feel, you think and they'll probably take die this many in characters arms. out? 
No, I'm, these are just odds. I'm saying okay, these are the, gotcha, the gotcha. most, like I would say probably we're looking at one to two more okay. deaths. Yeah. I'm just um, glad people started dying in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Get it out of the way, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on. Like, you know, it's just that first, it's like breaking the ice, you know? Now it's just going to. The home now the stretch. doors have opened, yeah. 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 The, the olive jar, <laughs> as, as yeah. Harbaugh once said. And then the last one I put uh, would be Tommy, just because I would say if, you know, this mob this mob business is going to get serious. And if there were anyone that were expendable out of that area, it's probably Tommy, uh, just because he's kind of a soldier. Like, I don't think Rudy would die. So if, if they have to What about Frankie, though? Frankie. No. We don't think we can no, kill him No, I, I think Frankie no. and Vincent are, are safe. Not just okay. – well, I think Vincent's obviously safe while. because the yeah. real Vincent is still alive. But okay. yeah. uh, I guess Frank, yeah, Frankie not this season. I would say maybe long term. Oh, right, um, right. Yeah, I, uh, that, I think that would be developed more and made us to – we'd be more aware of the possibility of it happening, but certainly not this season. Yeah. So if I had to uh, – I had to say my locks – I think Shay is a lock. I think that's the only way to end that plot line. Yeah. Um, that makes a lot of sense. And there's yeah. not really anywhere else you can go with that plot line. So. Right. Yeah. And Lori, I feel like we'll get Lori season three. I think maybe that's. No, I say she dies in the last oh, episode huh? of season two. But here's dies the thing. Dies in season two. Okay. Yeah. But here's. Last episode. <laughs> I'm kind of, I guess that's why I think maybe not Dave. Because I don't like Cece's gonna be the perpetrator of that violence, whether it's Dave or Lori, right? Because I don't uh-huh. know that the other pimps are meaningful. Rodney's too high. Nah, Rodney's yeah, too right? high. He's the, too high. So who? Larry's guy, too busy. That maybe. guy doesn't. Larry mean doesn't it. give a shit. I mean, yeah. if it's that guy, I, I don't know. Well, that I, 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 I don't think has that, any weight if it's that guy. He yeah. seems so be insignificant. It's be so Cece's the one, but I don't see him going on like a tear and killing off three or four people, right? But that's I, that's why I feel like it's got to be Lori because it's so personal. It's exactly. just that bubble is just it's she's going to eat it for all of them, and it's going to pop. Yeah, like that, it's I'm just more inclined to think that direction. Yeah. Plus, I mean, that, like that's what I want. Know, the 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 lawyer Dave Ashley Dorothy and Loretta thing like I would say Loretta is the most likely to die out of that, um, but the, the I think this show is you know trying to promote this feminist thing so if they have like a violence spill out into that plot line like that's kind of hinders that's true the movement that's true you're um, right so I yeah. would say yeah I would say Shay is a lock and I would say Lori. Uh, Eden, are you going to make that your lock, Eden? Yeah, for yeah, sure. Because, that one's because mine. <laughs> lock it in, baby. Also, you're rooting for Lori to get out, right? Yeah. You're, right now, you're, you're, you're like, Lori's on the verge of... And Lori's this interesting character because, like, she told Candy, you know, she didn't arrive here thinking she owned the world, right? She's always yeah. been scared. And that's why she fell so easily into Cece's lap. Is mm. like, she was terrified. She didn't have... She had courage, but she didn't have the bravery to go at it her own on her own. Yeah. And and she's constantly battling that about herself. It's like and obviously he's given her plenty of reasons to feel terror. Um, and you're rooting for her with this agent and with this opportunity to take a step up and have control of her life. So that's where I think we have the most tragedy in the story. Yeah, because I think she's gonna try to 
she's going to try to, you know, take that step and then Cece's going to kill her dead. Also has the greatest impact on everyone involved in the story because she's the star of this movie. You know, she's, she's just about to break on a bigger level. She's Candy's star. She's Hodus's star. She's even, you know, part of Frankie's world. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. For Definitely. Sure. And we, you know, when we followed her to LA, she, we, we kind of got more of her perspective as like the rising starlet. So yeah, that would be the, that would be the, the saddest ending possible for that art. What it is, is we do see CC beat down Dave full on and then go kill Lori. Yeah. But not kill Dave. I don't think he does both. Yeah. Okay. Got it. All right. Well, that's the deuce. Uh, we got we got six minutes, Jake. Yeah, until... two episodes left of the Deuce. Nine uh, and ten. Three, three, three. Yeah. Eight, nine and ten. Eight, nine, ten. Yeah. Eight, nine, Good. ten. So there's yeah, still so enough time for stuff this to do. Sort of the end of Act Two, and now we're going into Act Three. So that brings us to the final show that we will be discussing today, which is The Haunting of Hill House, which was Jake's proposal to the group to watch. Uh, and I got to say, horror is not usually my thing. Me uh, neither. I, I don't Me really, neither. it's not really like a, you know, I, I don't go see a lot of horror movies. Uh, I've seen some that I do like, like, I don't know, The Babadook or stuff like that. That's but good, this. Though. This this show is extremely extremely well made, yeah. uh, and the director creator is Mike Flanagan, whose uh, previous works include Gerald's Game, Before I Wake, Oculus, Absentia. So he's you know he's a genre filmmaker, but he has mastered this genre. Um, Eden, what did you what what made you crush the show <laughs> in a weekend? Um, well, it's just. Well, because each episode, at least in the first start, like the first three or four, it's like the perspective of each of the family members. Um, mm-hmm. It's like the same story told from like Steve's perspective and then Shirley's perspective and Theo's. Um, and it's just it was I needed to see how it came together. And it's like there's this creepy house. You don't know what's going on with it. And I love stuff like this, but I, I don't like horror for the sake of horror, but I like supernatural stuff. And it was done in a way that it's not just like, Ooh, ghost, you know, it, it kind of had, it just seemed like there was more going on and there is, I'm obviously not going to spoil anything. Um, but I like that the story is, is very thorough because it does go through everyone's point of view. So it's just very cohesive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the story has two main timelines. It kind of flips back and forth between their childhood memories, like you were talking about, of when they lived in this hill house and their present day adulthood. Uh, it also shows some important moments in between. The editing in the show is unbelievable. Pretty much every smash cut between timelines focuses on either an object or an action. So, like a bottle of milk, a mask a funeral home, a photo album, putting on makeup, like every single cut for the episodes, at least that I've watched is like someone's holding a milk bottle in one timeline. And then we cut to a milk bottle in the past. Uh, and it follows five siblings, 
from oldest to youngest, Stephen, Shirley, Theo, Luke, and Nell. Uh, the kids remember their childhood and time in the house very differently. Uh, which So, like, there's kind of three groups. There's Stephen and Shirley, the older kids. There's Theodora, the classic middle child, rebellious lesbian psychologist with intimacy issues. And then the the youngest ones. Jake, which which of those three groups of siblings uh, has interested you the most? Yeah, it's a funny question. You know, what struck me uh, was Theo basically was the same empath that was introduced to us in – in, in Castle, Rock. Castle Rock. Thank you. Yeah, you've blocked it out. You've totally. censored it from your mind. <laughs> totally. I canceled it. I canceled it after that yeah. finale. Dude. Jeez, this was so like, bad. dude, it's flushed out. <laughs> but I loved that concept in yes. Castle Rock, the touching. And remember how she didn't want to touch. She didn't want to hear, you know, and here you have the same exact idea and it's executed and well. Like I, well, I thought that out. character was fine. Like she, they carried her fine throughout that yeah. story. Fair and, enough. And, right. Like she was not the problem. Yeah. She wasn't the whole. Um, and Theo, who, who I was very confused about early on, cause I thought it was Shirley. I was like, when did Shirley, like they did a great yeah. job. They, yeah. They didn't they introduce Theo like right. later, but yeah. they also, Looked like a family. Like this doesn't always happen. Yes. Shows with big families where they actually look related, and especially the sisters looked really. Yeah, right? and, and they look like and they look like Carla Gugino. And yeah, they I do. Thought, and I thought that Shirley's the kid Shirley looks so much like adult Shirley. She does. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah the yeah. only problem was great was, casting was a heroin addict weightlifter. Yeah, he doesn't. He's he's the, <laughs> too, he's the black sheep of the family yeah. for sure. Like, Milkman what, came in that day. What happened, dude? You were a coke bottled, glass wearing little kid, super shy, but now you're like the wrestler. But he's also yeah. an addict. I don't quite get this thing. <laughs> yeah, he should have yeah. been like skinnier. He should have cast somebody else as the. Although he wasn't bad performing the character, but the look was off. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know what? Um, I don't, I don't know. I was kind of, I was equally invested across the board. I guess I was most sympathetic in some ways to Theo, Nellie, and Luke, the children. Because yeah, the younger ones. Because they were the most sensitive to what was going on in the house itself. Yeah, so Luke Luke and Nell were were the youngest uh, at the time when they lived in the house, and they definitely, you know, the the they were scared the most. They saw the most ghosts or whatever, and it fucked up their life the most. Yeah, they're the most you know, fucked up Luke's as adults. A drug addict, and Nell, you know, in the first episode, returns to the house, and uh, so it's like those two were scarred. Stephen and Shirley were kind of like dismissive of the time in the house and a very crystallized formed opinions. You know, Stephen wrote the books and Shirley works in a funeral home, which is just, you know, of course they're all of their, uh, professions are kind of linked to She's the fixer, right? Yes. Right. She takes on the role of the eldest because Stephen kind of abandons that job. And she also has the, uh, the affinity for the mother and keeps the dream home model in her office yes, and it's right. kind of assumed the role of the mom in the wake yes. of, uh, of her absence. Um, and then, yeah, so the, 
the empathy, the empath ability. Uh, Olivia talks to Theo about how the women in their family are sensitive. Um, and Shirley is the sleep talker. You know, we see her right. talking in her sleep right off the bat, including saying the panda doesn't like macaroni, which is nonsense. But then later <laughs> seems to be kind of like preternaturally knowing events like even what is it? It's, it's kind of subconscious, right? Like she doesn't even know that she's saying it or knows these things. Right. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Theodora, you know, has, has the crazy empath ability and wears gloves all the time, like Rogue from X-Men. Right. Um, and that was a there was a funny scene, right? When she comes out after hooking up with the young woman from the club. Yeah. In in episode two, I think it was. Yeah, that was her introduction. So right. Like, so episode two. And we'll stay away from spoiling too much broad stuff. And cause you've only seen three episodes and yeah. And we do want people to watch this. We definitely recommend people checking this show out, especially going into Halloween. Oh um, yeah, for sure. I think, um, they do this nice little twist where you don't know. She, she asks her why she wears the gloves in the room, right? When she's doing the hookup and she says, I'm mm-hmm. a germaphobe. Germaphobe. Yeah. And later she tells her sister on the porch after the girl's leaving and she accuses of her acting like a frat boy. Yeah. Um, she says, Oh, she's got too many issues, too much baggage there. And you're mm-hmm. like, where did she get that? You know? And then later you realize, Oh, I know where she got that information. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I, so the reason do, I said that they yeah. handle it better than Castle Rock is cause yeah. I think, uh, just, you know, Theodora is much more in control of her abilities. Yes. She knows where, what it is. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the woman from Castle Rock was kind of like, I, this is happening and it's been happening forever, but I don't really know what it is. And, she know, has Theodora no command of it. Pick up yeah. chicks and, and put perverts in jail. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. Right. That was a nice turn too, where she actually employs the power for good. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Um, and that was a, that was dramatic stuff. I mean, you're right. I think at its best, it's so well directed. It's so well choreographed yes. and you'll see that come to fruition even more throughout the series. The, the guy's vision is very strong. The photography is strong. The mood is fantastic. The color palette. Um, yeah. You know, like where, lighting. to me, my only complaint about the show over the 10 episodes is that when they start trying to write and, and become writerly and poetic, it gets very heavy handed it gets very overwrought. Um, and I thought the show had its stayed best when it was at its simplest. Um, um, but, you know, I, I, did you dig that final scene of the last episode that I told you about where I said that I wasn't sure what was going on? And, but at that final scene in Steven's apartment, mm. I was like, oh, yeah, this is good because yeah, that, of the combination a- of the scare, right? Mm-hmm but also the power of that moment, right? It's a deeply emotional moment. And he, you know, that, that he realizes once he gets the phone call, what has happened. 
Yeah, it's it's uh, it's definitely like you said, it's definitely like when they dig their hooks in. Right. And it's the perfect Netflix model where you're like, I want the next one. Guess what? It's yeah. already playing in five seconds. <laughs> totally. It's Before happening. you can even get to it's your remote, me. it's already yeah. happening again. And that's that's how they you know, that's the strength of a, of a really strong Netflix show is just dropping that that hammer in the final scene. Um so this was adapted from a Shirley Jackson book. And when, the, when Theodora is introduced, she's reading The Lottery, which is a Shirley Jackson short story. Have, uh, have either of you guys ever read The Lottery? I have not. Not for many years. I read it in school, and it's basically the premise is uh, it's, uh, it's a small town. And they, every week or every month or something, they do the lottery, and everybody's all excited and you know, some one of the people is going to win and the person wins the lottery. And then uh, the result is that they get stoned to death by the other yeah. people in town. Basically, the um, games. yes, uh, <laughs> con- condensed into like, you know, 30 pages or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, it's just that like American, like idealistic, but also the, the heavy, dark undertones yeah. of like society and humanity. And Kafkaesque. Yes. And so that, you know, kind of spills over that, 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 uh, the fact that she wrote the original book, I feel like they probably adapted it, but just the idea of the home and moving into the home and wanting to transform the home is a pretty like American, you know, classic yeah, yeah, idea. And so to like twist that up into a haunted house is pretty cool. Um, and it felt this show feels a lot like uh, Six Feet Under meets American Horror Story, uh, number one. And not just because they're in a funeral home half the time, but just like the family element of ah, it. That's funny. You know what I thought of? Like I was like putting together the, the pitch line. It's almost yep. like they took the glass family, you know, Salinger's glass family and mm. put them in the hotel of the shining. Yes. So there's also definitely shining vibes. Oh, there's so sure. much yeah, shining, definitely shining. So vibes. much shining in this uh show. There's so many nods to Kubrick in general, I felt. Um especially the string stuff that happens as things are building. Yeah. And I think he tries to scare you the way Kubrick scared you, as opposed to relying on the super conventional jump scare moments, you know? Even though he has them, I think he he does them really well. And the yeah, characters, right? The characters are creepy as fuck. Mm-hmm. The bent neck lady, the floating tall guy. <laughs> I don't want to say too much. You may not have even seen that one yet. And there's ghosts you know, everywhere. There's yeah, ghosts there, there's everywhere. all the hidden ghosts that I've, I've seen on the internet uh, hiding in pretty much every frame. Um, yeah, you yeah, should th- look at that, though. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> don't look at that. You're reading. I just looked at the first first episode. I didn't oh, look past okay, the episode okay, that good. I had oh, seen. Okay, good, okay. Good. Not a fool. <laughs> um, but I, the Shining comparison is is definitely strong. I, I think the thing that's so cool about the Shining is that the the ghosts and the spirits or whatever you want to call it that that haunts the Overlook they don't really they're not gotcha scary, violent, aggressive ghosts, right? Yeah. They kind of turn you on yourself and make right. you make you the scary part. And so like they definitely have that going. And I thought it was interesting. I think that I think the dad, there hasn't been much of him in the first three episodes that I watched, the Timothy yeah. Hutton version. Right. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure he's talking to the mom when we first meet him. Right. Uh, and like he's a ghost is cuddling him in bed. 
and he seems unfazed. Mm-hmm. And then he's like talking uh, to himself, but probably mm-hmm. to the mom in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, Eden. Uh, so I'm, I'm three episodes in. Well, I guess we'll come back and we'll do like a, a sum up. At some yeah, point, it's impossible we'll to talk up. about the rest without yeah. that. Really, Spoiling. I think it's an easy binge, like Eden Definitely. said. Yeah. It, really, yeah. same, it was the same for me as well. I was like, I was kind of happy to do three at a time just because yeah, for sure. I did. Like, the cliffhangers are great. The way they pace the story is great. The the the, the going from character. Because the beauty is you get the focus of the, the various characters, but you still have all the characters in there. So you're never just solely one-sided as you explore their point of view of the story and get their critical backstories. But I'll be interested to talk more about in the end, what worked, what didn't really work, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. did it, you know, where castle rock completely collapsed under the weight of itself in the finale. What a train wreck that was. No, I wasn't expecting this in some ways I was expecting it to end the way it did, but I wasn't, expecting the resolution to hinge on what it did. And they did some of that, I thought, incredibly well with some really dark surprises. And then some of it I wasn't sure about. Is this a one and done or is there a season two? Well, I think it it's certainly this story is concluded. Yeah, okay. it wraps up. It wraps yeah, up nicely. I, I mean, okay. I, I they could do a two, but it would be very different. And I, I don't think that like I've heard read some stuff where the actors would are like, Oh, I'd have no idea what they would do. <laughs> you know, there's no yeah. natural continuation point from here. It would almost have to be like a different a story. Different entirely. Yeah. Uh, so from Mike Flynn again, uh, it says while the cranes family story might be over any number of things we could do in a possible season two provided Netflix renews the show. So he's open to it. It's yeah. on Netflix. If this is a big hit, like would. I think it will be. Yeah. I mean, and it's open. like, and horror sequels can do that, right? They can just use the house. Yes. It could be yeah. 20 years later. Um, it could be before. It could be before. Right. Exactly. It's like they have more possibilities than just continuing on the same timeline. Yeah. So that's cool. Um, but what did we think of the. Henry Thomas, Timothy Hutton thing. I found that kind of funny. That's both, weird. Both seminal eighties figures, right? ET ordinary people. And now they're like here in 2018 playing the younger and older versions of a character. Yeah, I found and it that didn't, really interesting. It didn't totally like met, like it didn't feel like the same person, you know? The least, well, it's so hard when you're dealing with two adults I know. and they're not, Right. It's like one thing if one were elderly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I thought the parents were pretty old, you know, casting Carlo Gugino and uh, yeah, in their 40s. I mean, they've got like, they've got five kids and one's a, two of them are teenagers. Like, yeah. So like right? the way so, to get around that would be to like cast younger parents and then have like older actors as their as them older or just the older dad. Right. So like, yeah, I thought it was I, interesting that they had I, like a pretty old father already and then Timothy Hutton playing him and it just didn't look like it had been enough time. Well, let's say, but I was thinking what they intended age was probably mid thirties or or late thirties. Right. So that Carla Gugino, you know, I mean, like we said, Carla Gugino is timeless. She looks ageless. I mean, it's unbelievable. She's got a great look. She's, she looks 
it's just amazing. And and Henry Thomas too. I think he he played that character in the house super well. I th- I think uh, that's the thing. I'm I'm in, I liked his take on it, and I haven't yeah. I haven't gotten any. You Timothy haven't gotten Hunt enough really yeah, Timothy Hunt yet to yeah, maybe he steps it up. But I I'm, feel I'm, like I'm attached to the Thomas. Version. I feel like he's he plays really well the father in the present day timeline. So even though they didn't perfectly mesh one to the next, they both play their roles really well. Yeah. So that's the, the last person I guess we should mention is that uh, the oldest son, Steven is played by Michael Weissman, who is of course, Dario Naharis. So, dude, from Game I of was watching, right? So I, wa- I was like, I know who this is. It's going to reveal itself to me. It's going to reveal it. And it just kept nagging and nagging. Finally, I gave up and I looked him up. Wait, what, <laughs> and I'm who like, is he? Game of Thrones? Oh. Like, he's, uh, he's, he's Daenerys' The hair is so boyfriend. different. The hair. Oh. It's a totally different haircut. And the no beard. Uh, but he, Eden, what did you think of his accent work? Because <laughs> he slipped out of his American accent because he is actually a Dutchman. Uh, um, oh, what did I you didn't think of his accent work in this in this show. I didn't notice it. Okay. Like, yeah, mostly OK. I, I like him. I actually liked him in that role. But I know what you mean. He, he was not on stable footing the whole time. But I, I thought mostly he was fine. Yeah, I thought the yeah, sisters are just so one of good. The weak, he's one of the weaker characters. I didn't know if that was by design either, though, because he, I think that is by design. Yeah, because it's like you're kind of you kind of don't like him that much to begin with. Yeah, he, he's problematic. Yeah, he's, he's quote unquote the lead, even though you know Carla Gugino is definitely the lead. Um, de- yeah, <laughs> got the most screen time, I think. But yeah, this, right. I, I think the sis, at least in the episodes I've watched, this, the three sisters, or the, I guess really the two sisters, Theodora and Shirley, really dominate um, and are, are doing really well. And then you know Nell is good, but she doesn't have as much to play with in the in the first couple episodes that I watched. So so yeah, we'll come back to the Haunting of Hill House. You guys have of course finished it. I got my my work to do. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us on the TV book club. Uh, we'll, we'll be back next week to talk about deuce eight and <laughs> maybe the Romanoffs, maybe not depending <laughs> on how depending on if you watch any, you have yeah. to all watch. on me. Yeah, it's on you. Anthony yeah. you have to watch all of them. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's my punishment. That's I have punishment. to watch all of them. You and have I have to, to tell two. you about them. You guys don't even have to watch them. Uh, all right. Well, I, I already talking. watched all of them. So, you watched all them right. all? Yeah, I watched Wait. all of them. I didn't know you mean uh, all that available. W- yeah, all the available ones. Yeah, oh, okay. I didn't know that Sorry. two wasn't on the. I didn't know two wasn't assigned. So nice. So all I right. just watched. I've, I watched it anyway. So you guys have sufficiently shamed me on that end. Yeah. <laughs> for Jake Hoy, he's gonna go watch the World Series now. For okay. the silent Rob Lopez, uh, I'm Anthony Mays. We'll see you next week. Talk all right. Soon. Thanks, guys. All right, later, y'all.